Okay, well, welcome to episode three of Queers Do Cinema, the sex episode, aka Is It All About the Sex? I am Jeffrey Winter of the Los Angeles-based indie film company, The Film Collaborative, and we have our full complement of esteemed queer cinephiles here. So let's go around and introduce ourselves, start with Jared. Uh, I'm Jared. I'm a queer filmmaker, and I'm on the board of the Queer Film Institute. Allegra? I am Allegra Madsen, and I'm the director of programming at Frameline, the San Francisco International LGBTQ Plus Film Festival. Kathleen. Hello, I'm Kathleen Mullen, uh, she, her. I'm the festival director of the Seattle Queer Film Festival, also a queer programmer at large, and a filmmaker as well. James? Hey, I am James Ado. I am the head of the Queer Film Institute, which produces Wicked Queer, Boston's LGBTQ Film Festival. And we are super excited to have a new, uh, a new queer expert. I don't know what the word is. You'll tell us. Um, <laughs> join us this week. Sam Berliner joining from, where are you, Sam, actually? I'm in Boston. And Sam, you know, um, I was thinking, Okay, so recently, when you were moving to Boston, you were looking for work and looking for your opportunities, and you asked me at that time, and I didn't really have anything, and now I'm feeling particularly bad because if I had, you would have worked with ev you would have worked for every single person on this. <laughs> <laughs> You've worked with everybody here. So Sam, tell us who you are. Yeah, um, my name is Sam Berliner. My pronouns are he or they. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to join this fun chatting circle. <laughs> um, I currently live in Boston, but before that I lived in the Bay Area and worked for Frameline. Then I moved to Seattle um, and I was the festival director for Translations, the Seattle Transgender Film Festival, for seven years. I get that right? I think so. And then um, I moved back home to Boston um, and I've been programming the queer, the trans and non-binary films for Frameline for the past, I don't know, three years, something like that. Time doesn't mean anything anymore with COVID time. So like, this is a little off. Um, I'm also a filmmaker and really, really hope that I get to make my next film let's say in the next year. And Sam, we certainly have worked together often with your programming my films. Are you telling me films to pick up? And I, I love working with you. And I just wanted to say that, um, you know, we are here to talk about the juiciest of topics this week. Is it all about the sex? Uh, we're working in queer cinema and, you know, there are a lot of people that think when they think, they think queer, they think sex. And I just want to say if anybody, uh, what is the White House secretary, uh, press secretary's name, Jean Carine, what's her name? Jean Paul Carine, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> oh no, she was, uh, <laughs> Somebody look it up. She doesn't look. <laughs> White House Secretary. Green Jean-Pierre. Green Jean-Pierre, first black woman and first uh, out queer person, queer person who's press secretary. And she did a thing for um, National Coming Out Day. She 
talked about being a lesbian. And I saw this endless stream of hate mail come across the transom of the various YouTubes and platforms, all of which was like, why are you telling us what you do in the bedroom? Whatever you do in the bedroom is your own business. And I was like, oh, she just did a coming out, national <laughs> coming out thing. And I was like, I was shocked. It was hate mail after hate mail after hate mail, and it was all sex focused. So that leads me to um place I wanted to start. Uh our 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 famous queer baiting friend Harry Styles, real recently snafu, talking about his film My Policeman, and he said. So much of gay sex in films is two guys going on at it, and it kind of removes the tenderness from it. And I was thinking, what, <laughs> what films have you seen? <laughs> and I just think that for many of us, queer sex or se sexually suggestive scene is just really how we first recognized ourselves on screen, and not sort of the stereotypes of the lifestyle, but like what who what we actually saw that was exciting for ourselves on screen. And I just want people to discuss that. Like, when did you see first see queer sex on screen and what did it mean to you? Sam, you are doing the most nodding. So Sam, you start. <laughs> well. Bonnie Sam, yay. I have been every letter of the LGBTQA, I'm not an I, acronym, almost, almost every letter. And so... Uh, my first letter after being straight um, was, for all intents and purposes, an L, even though I didn't use the word lesbian, I used the word queer, and I identified as female at the time. And let me tell you, there were some sweet lesbian movies for a little while. Um, there was the incredibly true story of two girls in love. There was Better Than Chocolate. Um and there was the other one. I wrote it down. Oh, duh. And there was, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, and I saw those all around the same time. And like <laughs> sweet lesbian sex montages. <laughs> and like it, nothing graphic ever in this type of lesbian film, as best as I recall. I think better than chocolate they like painted their bodies and like rolled around on big like butcher paper and like did like boobs and did like a smile face on a butt cheek and it was so cute and um but I'm a cheerleader of course it's the two of them in the literal doghouse outside of the place where they go to make you not gay. I don't even know. Conversion you... therapy. Say again? Conversion yeah. therapy. In the front yard of the conversion therapy um, house where all the queer kids were living and pretending to become straight, there was a literal doghouse. And um, these two had sex in the doghouse. And it was like, it was like, soft colors and like <laughs> I think maybe you heard a moan maybe I'm not sure but I was just like whoa that's awesome <laughs> um, and moving ahead from that a little bit still with queer women I remember when I was in the theater seeing the kids are all right 
there was this part where the moms were having sex in their bedroom and there was a TV on the opposite wall and they were watching gay male porn, which is something that I learned over the years very quickly to me is the best thing ever, regardless of what letter I identify as. So the fact that lesbians were watching gay male porn, that was awesome. Second, I felt super seen and understood because one of them was under the blankets and the other one was out of the blankets with her head watching the porn. And the one under the blankets kept moving the blankets and the one on <laughs> the one with her head out kept pulling the blankets up. And the underneath one was like, I can't breathe. And the one with her head out was like, I'm cold. And I was like, I feel seen. Um, <laughs> So that left them really, I was like in a regular movie theater and I was the only one laughing a lot for <laughs> that one part. I was just like, thank you. I have, I have been seen. So All I right, can well, keep going, me, but me, I think I should pause. Yeah, we, we got lots of people. And you know what? We always turn to James at the point that we need historical context because he's turned into the, the, the history professor. <laughs> So I thought, James, give us some like historical context on queer sex and cinema and how you came to it. Uh, you know, it's funny, and in, in, I know we've had this conversation uh, separate from this group and when I was pulling my syllabus together about the queer film history. And um, we know that there was, I think it was much more prevalent in the 20s and right before the, the, Hay the Hayes Code comes in in 1933, um, and it was much more about lesbian sex. If you go into like the pre-code films, there's not a lot, probably zero um, gay male stuff, but there was a lot of lesbianism, which I think led to the Catholic church um, imposing the Hayes Code on cinema because of wild uncontrolled female sexuality. Um, but it doesn't really start to manifest until um, there's a film called, oh gosh, I'm now looking at my bookshelf for it. Um, I think it's called score and it's from 1971 and it's about two straight couples who end up having like a foursome and it's sort of like i think one of the earliest to have that's non i mean of course the early 70s we have the rise of underground gay porn and stuff so i mean separating i guess we're going to separate the mainstream from the underground because sex has always been kind of part of underground queer cinema since the 60s um so we'll set that aside, but think of if we think about stuff that's relatively mainstream, Score was kind of the first to have sort of bisexuality in these four couples, the husband going after the other husband and the wife going after the other wife. Um, but I don't think we get like a real sort of visual manifestation of queer sex until the early 90s. I mean, I immediately go to the new queer cinema, either, you know, Frisk or Living End, um, Poison, uh, these sort of films where we begin to see it, you actually begin to see these relatively underground filmmakers actually becoming mainstream by depicting queer sex. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my contextual. And I, and I posed this question early on, I think in the chat, um, because I started to think about when we approach, because all of us are sort of film professionals, that there's the personal connection, like this is this has personal meaning to me. And then they're like, and then there's the family going, oh my God, things are now changing because we're having this kind of film, right? And that the two rarely kind of hit at the same point, right? Because we all approach film in our own sort of personal way. So I wanted to throw that one out there too. And you can circle back to me for my picks, but I just wanted to sort of kick it, the conversation that way. Yes, and I, I love a line from Bros recently where Billy Eichner says, I miss the days when straight people were uncomfortable with gay sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> so actually, so Kathleen, let's go, let's go to 
personal stuff. Wait, tell me when you first saw Queer Sex on screen and, or, you know, or not, doesn't mean it first, but when, when do you remember it? Did, it? did it change your life a little bit? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. So I watched a lot of musicals as a kid in my basement in Edmonton. And uh, so that didn't have lesbian sex. <laughs> there weren't any lesbian sex scenes in the musicals, <laughs> but there were some really hot women. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, like Audrey Hepburn and, you know, and such. Um, Kathleen Hepburn. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, so when I first, so it actually, it's funny when I first started to, so I had this girlfriend who was really into experimental cinema. She'd gone to NYU. Um, she, I met her in Vancouver and uh, she'd gone to NYU. And so she was really into all that sort of Barbara Hammer um, work. And, and, and so I got kind of introduced <laughs> to lesbian sort of sex in film through kind of experimental like lesbian filmmakers which was kind of cool so we ended up doing this program together like it was I just um in like 19 what was it 1994 or something and it was called retro sex and so we took all these short films experimental short films of lesbian way and so it was basically queers having you know it was about sex and how we define sexuality um, and how do we we express it? Um, and this was like a long time ago. So I, not to be like, I mean, I've like also loved Personal Best and Desert Hearts, and those were kind of um, uh, fried green tomatoes. Was a really even though they don't have sex and they're not you know lesbians, that was so lesbian to me, and I, that provided this in very much this tension. But it was actually through sort of lesbians exploring. Um, their sexuality, sensuality, intimacy through experimental, through working, uh, like making their work. Yeah, and I would say Barbara Hammer had a huge influence on me um, and, and, and was introduced to me by this girlfriend. So I'm a little surprised that I'm ending up the perv on this thing, because for me, it was like Carell, you know, Fassbender, which was a meditation on anal sex and power. <laughs> And then it was Law of Desire with Antonio, you know, Antonio, blah, whatever his name Banderas. Um, Antonio Banderas being like, it's not fitting in. It's not fitting in. <laughs> and the beginning, you know, Amadovar's Law of Desire, when at the beginning, it's like a mock porn scene and the guy's sitting there and they're, they're uh, doing voiceover and he's saying, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me in Spanish. Boy, you mean, boy, you mean. <laughs> And that for me, this was like, I had no idea that, that gayness could be so hot. That's really what it was for me. Like before it was Limpers and Queens in fabulous outfits. And I really didn't relate, you know? And uh, so for me, this was like the first time that I was like, I can see me on screen and it looks fun. And I have to say, I Spanish boys are still my favorite. Thirty-five years later, it was that hot. So Allegra, what do you? What about you? Did you? Uh, were you? What, am I the only perv on here? No, you don't have to answer the question. <laughs> well, come on, we're all talking about queer sex. Like Jeffrey, are you the only one? 
<laughs> you know, I'm just saying, uh, you know, James the Professor and Kathleen the Experimental. And Sam, Sam's like, well, I don't know. Experimental can be very hot. Like, I, whoa. I love Barbara Hammer. But Allegra, tell us some personal stories for you. Uh, I feel like um, uh, as a... A lesbian, my relationship, my, particularly my early relationship to lesbian sex on screen, is, and I'm sure everyone's, is like deeply, deeply problematic because, it, you know, I, I grew up in the South, not really a small town, but like we did, there was like experimental cinema, like those two words like didn't make sense. They don't even go together. So it's like, what are you talking about? Like you saw it at the the 99 cent movie, not the AMC. Like it, that that was where I was coming from. So like, you know, I would tease out the first time I would feel attraction on screen, like Terminator 2, like when, <laughs> when uh, Linda Hamilton gets super buff and I'm like, oh, that's something, <laughs> there's something here. Uh, um, but then it gets into you know like you know, then i'm like it, it, like basic instinct and and bound like these are or basic instinct in particular is like a deeply problematic movie like where lesbian sex is totally fetishized and it's totally for the male gaze and all of these things but like as a little baby lesbian it was quite it was, it was, yeah i mean i felt a little pervy about it but it was like these were the first times i that i really saw anything on screen and then you know you fast forward to like some really wrong headed moments like uh the chasing amy moments uh or, yeah it's chasing amy isn't it yeah 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 uh where it's just like the the queerness is like written by men and it's it, it, it's like it's it's homophobic a little bit and like but these were these were these were these were my formative films where i i actually felt i could find something I could find something in them. Yeah, I thought so we were gonna, to me on the perv side. Super, super interesting because I thought we were going to get to this because I want to talk about porn in a second. <laughs> but, but <laughs> uh, you know, but James, uh, sorry, Jared, fill us in on your little teenage fantasies on screen. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in a town of six thousand people and went to college in a town of ten thousand people. Um, and so I am 100% like a video store kid. Every, my whole cinematic education was like the local video store followed by like my college library, which actually had like a slightly wider taste. And I think that there was a lot that, you know, piggybacking kind of on what others have said is like, there's, it's like, okay, there's, there's gay people in movies like I saw you know, as good as it gets in the birdcage, my best friend's wedding. It's like, okay, they, they exist, but I didn't really be like, and a lot of them are kind of these like pitying portrayals is like, oh, like, you know, these, these poor, you know, fragile wretches, like even like very compassionate portrayals. It's not like you really see yourself in that. And I remember the first film to really make its way through that, like video store experience was Itumo uh, Matamien, where like that kiss was like electric. I was like, oh no, I want to be gay now. Like, like there was something in that portrayal of desire, however many layers it was buried under. And I'm surprised we didn't talk about that one in the like, is it queer? Because like it would pass none of our rules of like, is it queer? Other than that, like it had this very 
authentic moment that I think I, I really connected with and was like, oh, I need to find more movies about this. Besides the fact that throughout the movie they're like masturbating together, but okay. <laughs> well, yes, lots of lots of moments. <laughs> they did have and a student write about some that. other films that were like kind of big in 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 sort of like you know that time when I was growing up, or like things like Little Darlings, where I had a crush on both Christy McNichol and Matt Dillon, and I just thought the two of them were like so completely hot, I couldn't actually decide between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like there for them. <laughs> well, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go out back back out into this explicit thing and just say for me, like since I had never, you know, we all saw some degree of straight sex on screen. Like when I discovered gay porn, I mean that was just the proof that gay men actually had sex. Like it was a very big deal for me. To know that it to know, and I guess to and I I think to a lot of extent this still exists. Um, I think I pretty much learned what sex how to do sex from porn, which was not a great idea, I suppose. But um, yeah, I mean, porn is how I porn is the main way that I learned that gay men were really thing, really people that had sex with each other. And I think it was incredibly formatively important for me. Um, James, what about you? Because that now all of a sudden you and I are the old people. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some ways our, our history does converge a bit because I grew up in a really small town in Australia on a military base. And I really have a lot of access to media because we didn't have TV. We had the movie theater on the base. Um, but when I moved to Providence to go to college, Providence A had a huge sort of sex underground sex scene, but I was like porn stores. and But they also had this video store that I had to Google because I could not remember it called Acme Video. And I don't know if it would exist when you were in Providence, Jeffrey, but it was where everything was like all these weird bootlegs. And, you know, it's where I discovered um, my beautiful laundrette of all sort of films that it was just like, you know, oh, this is a film that's, you know, and... Um, Oh God, not, I mean, I want to mention The Living End, not The Living End, but um, Making Love, because I feel like historically that was kind of the first film that actually supposedly depicted to a, a gay relationship, but that came with a warning before the film started, you know, that you're about to see something that's very controversial, but we're trying to tell a true story about two men in love, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I like, I think much like Kathleen, I sort of gravitated toward this weird bootleg video store in Providence on the near the RISD campus that was just that you could dig into anything from, you know, early schlock like Roger Corman all, all the way to sort of uh, Bruce LeBruce. I think that's where I discovered No Skin Off My Ass, which was probably the first sort of confrontation <laughs> with like in your face queer radicalism and sex at the same time. Like, I think that's sort of Bruce LeBruce's historical contribution to our culture is to to sort of confront you know mainstream culture with this you know aggressive somewhat problematic <laughs> um uh idea of sexuality and queer culture so that's that was sort of my my jumping off point so i think that when i actually went and looked for queer sex growing up i seemed to found it a little easier than the rest of you but <laughs> i i'm generally you grew thought, up in new york city like your oyster yeah so i that's coming through here but but um, back to Sam, Sam, 
Sam was a baby lesbian. I didn't really know that. How cute. Um, oh. <laughs> and <laughs> Kathleen and Allegra. So do you think you spent more time like looking for images and unable to find them? I had to go looking, but if I looked, I could find them. Do you think We're talking about porn. What? We're talking about porn? <laughs> Oh, I was just saying Sam wants to talk about porn. Well, I said, <laughs> he said looking for images, and I'm like, looking like for, yeah, but I could find it in Art House, I could find it okay. in Experimental, Kenneth Anger, yeah. you know, I could find it. It was underground. Yeah. But um, you know, there was there were sex shops, right? I mean, if I would go to the sex shop. <laughs> Yes, I was a 16-year-old slut, apparently. Who knew? <laughs> so, I mean, I had the internet. Yeah, see, I don't have the internet. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me want to put a plug for um, Fruit Bowl, which is um, a podcast made by Dave Quantic out of Seattle. Mm. And it's eventually going to be a feature narrative. He's made a bunch of shorts. They've played around the festivals. Um, and it's a um, oral history of queer sex. And on the postcard, it's right there, but you can't see it because it's a podcast. But like oral and sex is really big and a podcast and everything else is really small. Anyway, it's funny. Um, but yeah, he interviews people talking about their experiences, figuring out that they were queer and figuring out sex and all this stuff. So I would imagine that perhaps someone listening to this episode might be interested. So it's Fruit Bowl podcast and it's great. And I'm biased because I'm in the first episode. And it is great. It is his, great. I love the pod, podcast. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask you a question. So here we are talking about, you know, queer as sex. And then of course, I mean, for me, I actually personally imagine this, think queer is more important as love. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, and then we talk about it as identity. So I'm just wondering who's going to dive in, who's going to be, uh, you know, Allegra gets real smart about this stuff. Who, <laughs> who's going to dive in and say, what's the relationship to seeing sex on screen and how does it relate to your larger identity about love and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm being queer. What you know is is sex just like a represent? It's just like an act, a representation. What you know? Why why do you think that? It, what's a larger context there? I, it all go. I mean, doesn't it all fit together somehow? Like, doesn't it all doesn't it all relate? But like, I um. I don't know how now you, you set me up to be smart to say something smart. I don't have anything smart to say about it, but uh um we being being queer is just how I am in the world that's how I relate to the world that and so that's how I I see it and um it, it uh, and it's it's related to who I who I love and you know I don't think although straight people would do have a lot of uh a lot of media explaining how sex should be I don't think anybody has the uh, the right <laughs> I don't think anybody has the right images out in the world telling them how to be a good uh a good lover like I think it's all really bad I, I don't think I've seen very much there's like you know somebody's 
you know, bodies are over idealized. Uh, Like it might be fun and it's candy and I like to see it, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't give a proper roadmap on how to be in the world, I guess. Does that answer you? That's what, can I get smarter? Um, Do I have to get smarter? Well, I I would, no, you don't have to get smarter. Thank you. Um, I guess this is the weird part that I want to ask. Okay, Jared, you're next. Um, Yeah, so. um, But let me ask, let me ask it this way. When I first was like, seeing the, the guys on screen having sex I had crushes on them I realized that like oh my god I like them <laughs> you know uh, you know like this is how I'm going to end up you know socializing and being because I they, because I'm emotionally drawn to them you know it's not mm-hmm. just fucking right i know i'm like the perv but it's not really just that. <laughs> so, what do you want to say about that so i i will i will stand up for porn here and say that <laughs> you can learn good things from porn even if it's just <laughs> correcting bad information so in in 1996 i was in eighth grade and we had our science teacher who also was in, was in charge of teaching us like human reproduction and she was on so many fronts like the young progressive like taught us about birth control and condoms and like no one it was supposed to be like you know town of 6000 people like this is this is like she's like 25 and we're like oh my god miss thompson like knows the about the world and she's teaching us and one year one day someone in a class says uh miss thompson why do gay men get get aids more than straight people and she didn't know but instead of saying i don't know she guessed and her guess was when two men have sex, there's just blood everywhere. And so I imagined that was true for quite a while. And you can imagine my relief when I watched gay porn for the first time. And there was not, in <laughs> fact, blood everywhere. Um, so, you know, you you can learn something good from porn. Um, I also think like the, the connection, I'm surprised James didn't bring this up because so many of us here have connections to Wicked Queer which is a queer film festival that started in a porno theater. In 1984, George Mansour, our, our founder, um, was running a queer, uh, running a porno theater for the mob. And the audience wanted to see something else, something more. And that was in 1984, they took a break from showing porn for a weekend and screened like narrative and documentary films. I'll jump and in so real quick I to sort of explain that though, J- Jared. Um, they were the police department and obviously in every city would have periodic um, raids on queer bars, queer spaces. Uh, and so they were raided for showing pornography. And so they had to stop for a short period of time to sort of let the buzz die down. And they were like, well, just pick something, just play something. And so that's how he put the first festival together. <laughs> but clearly people liked it enough to come back. Like I think, you know, there, there, but even then, a... he had to show like stuff like Johnny Guitar, and you know, there wasn't like a lot of queer images. But you know, oh, yeah, okay, I'll let you finish, Jared. Sorry. No, I, but I think that there is, you know, a, a a through line from you know queer pornography, which really like flourished, uh, like gay male pornography was flourishing fine underground in in the seventies, long before we had what we consider like a queer film movement. So Kathleen, I, can you jump in on this? 
um, which I don't what what exactly is this at this point? I think <laughs> it, was, it was something about the think... idea that seeing seeing sex in cinema, see like you realized it would be part of your identity and who you would love. Did that happen for you? Yeah, well, I'm coming back to this Matt Dillon and <laughs> Christine. <laughs> okay, so I had crushes on two people that look like them. I remember their names, and like one was in one town, one was in another town, one was male, cis male, one was cis woman, and I like was like in love with them I, like I was like totally I would like crushed out followed them around it wasn't the movies but it was my life of like crushing over these two people at different times but still for a long time I crushed out over them and I think that those images on screen of these like these shows, like Little Darlings, where Christy McNichol looks kind of like, you know, tomboy sort of idea, you know, and and just but this is like this, and so that was, you know, sort of very much like those images were sort of associated with me to me where those people those actors whatever like in their in the in the roles that they were in was very significant in terms of who i was attracted to and who i loved and have loved you know for example you know so yeah in my life i mean you know and then I think all the heroines of like, as I talked about the musicals, okay, so they're all porn, but like they were like my fantasies of who, you know, I thought was beautiful, you know, and so, sexy and who in a way like I've grown, you know, that who, yeah, it sort of associates, I can't really separate those things. Yeah. So Sam, you said something that would not be familiar to most people listening to any podcast or anything where you said I've identified with all the level, all the letters of the LGBTQ, uh, say, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> all your many letters. Um, did, and you said that uh, lesbian scenes on, you know, started, did cinema play a role in like all of that evolution? And how did that, how did that work? I mean, were you, talking to you. I just want to know about this evolution. Oh, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, well, <laughs> Tell us I, your will life tie it, I will tie it into um, this topic by saying that I, I used to identify as a straight girl, so I had crushes on boys, and so I would see representations of, you know, straight romance, straight sex everywhere, and I was, like, super happy about that, and then I learned about female masculinity, um and that's when I was like oh and like I always dressed the way I dress I always had hair like this I didn't used to have a beard but like I'm exactly the same as I've always been it's just my outside kind of changes over the years and so when I found out that there's such a thing as female masculinity and that was by going to Smith College <laughs> um so that was real life um I was like, well, that is a very attractive thing. And that took me quite a while to piece together that I fit into that. Um, and around that time, 
was when I was like figuring that out, watching the sweet lesbian things. Um, and then the OC was on television. Um, and uh, that is not a queer show, but, and I'm not gonna talk about how they made the main girl character queer a little bit for like one of the seasons. Like that's not the point that I'm making. The point I'm making is Seth Cohen. <laughs> Seth Cohen was a character on the OC who was not the bad boy, but he was so cute. And I watched it every Thursday in college with all the people in my house. And it dawned on me that I not only wanted to date Seth Cohen, I also wanted to be Seth Cohen. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And like <laughs> kind of put that away for a while. Um, but that was pretty monumental in a not queer thing. I I saw something that actually really spoke to me. Um, and then moving ahead from there, once I figured out gender things, um, no, backing up. Then there was the L word. Um, <laughs> that was in college. And I am not attracted to femininity. And so I was really bummed that there weren't any butch lesbians on the L word. And like, I went to the first screening party at this house with my first girlfriend and everyone was so excited. And I was like, disappointed. Like, where are the people that look like me? But then I did what everyone else did and just was like, okay, whatever, Shane is close enough. Um, and so that was the first time that I saw like really hot in what I considered really hot queer women sexy time on a TV show, not porn. Like all I, all I knew was Shane was really good with her hands and somehow her face could be way up by the other person's face and they would be very excited. And I was like, what is she doing with her hands? So, um, yeah, the L word for me in that time of my life also spoke to me. And I was like, well, I present as masculine. Shane is the maybe most masculine character on the show at that time. Um, but I'm not, I don't think I'm supposed to be like Shane. And so that started the whole thing of, well, I'm masculine. Does that mean I'm supposed to be a top? And that's a whole other conversation. Um, but that got those wheels moving. Okay, now I'm moving forward and I'm gonna stop talking really soon because I want to make sure I mention the trans films that I was excited about. Um, so there's a movie called Romeos and it came out in 2011. It's from Germany and it was about a trans guy named Lucas. And Lucas um, fell in love with a cis guy named Fabio. And I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. Like I, cause it's more complicated in my history, but I realized over time that I was still attracted to cis men as I had been in the very beginning. I just was trans, it's complicated. But anyway, I was like, oh my God, that's possible. Cause I always assumed that like cis gay men would only be into other cis gay men and this guy was into the trans guy and I was like my world is exploding like the fact <laughs> that this exists is amazing so that film was super giant 
Um, and then every time I see any kind of connection, sexy time, romance between a trans guy and a cis guy, I always remember. And it's not very often. So there's that one. And then there's a movie called Say You Will. And it's a short film from 2016 by Chris Cruz. And it's um, these two guys that meet at a New Year's Eve party and one guy's trans and one guy's cis. And the cis guy doesn't know that the trans guy is trans. And then he's able to disclose and it goes well, which is shocking. And then they have really hot sex on the roof of a building. And they have this little sleepover on the roof of a building. What? What is this world? So those were the trans ones. And I still look for them that um, speak to me because it shows that what I want and who I am actually does exist. And I think I would be, um, it would be bad to skip saying, there's the word for this. I would be amiss, remiss in. Yes, remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't also mention, of course, that most trans representation in films, as you can see in the documentary Disclosure by Sam Fader that's on Netflix that you should check out, um, usually trans sex in films has to do with disclosure and then immediate rejection and then violence. So having to like wade through all of that and being traumatized by seeing that kind of stuff and then finding these wonderful, sweet moments um is just an extra added layer of fun it's just it's it's hard to find that stuff you know what is a really <laughs> quite a complicated thing for me and what you just said is so i was at that world premiere of romeos in berlin ally and your colleagues um des i can't believe, i should, probably shouldn't say people's name but <laughs> no she was fine she was great she was uh, from Frameline was at that screening. She saw the film and wouldn't and didn't want to show it. I think didn't show it at Frameline because it was a trans guy being played by a cis woman. Oh, right. Boy. And this is like all right, all the way years back, that many years back, and yet that was already a no no, and yet. We're all coming to this. What is really surprising to me in this conversation, I didn't think this, we all are coming to these from such different places. Like that was your first realization that trans guys could even be with gay men. And for Des, she was so jaded by then, she wasn't going to show it because it was just a cis woman representation of the film. I didn't and, even know that. I still didn't know that. Yeah. And so she was just like, no. And I was like, why? That seemed pretty great. So since we all, you know, like we have like these incredibly different expectations than I was expecting. Let me ask you, let's back up for a sec, you know, like where we all came to it. Um, what do you think now or growing up, what do you want in seeing queer sex and screen? But like, what is it that you brings you to a queer film and want the queer sex scenes at all and then we can ask some favorite ones james like we all think we turn on a queer film and we want queer sex in the movie like what do you want why well i'm gonna be slightly evasive um <laughs> and and put on my festival hat and and think back 
to the huge period of time of programming, and I think we've all been there, where you're like, it doesn't get gay fast enough. Like, I think I think of the film Dry by Tom Teichberg, where it takes like a good hour before there's anything gay in that film. And people were complaining, like people were getting ready to leave. They're like, when does it get gay? So it's this also this expectation. We, we're seeing this film. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure most people have seen the film, but um, there, when it does get gay, it gets very gay very quickly. And, and it's like a literal explosive sex scene. Um, and my cat is emphasizing my point. Um, mm-hmm. But I always thought it's funny when we would look at films and go, it's not gay enough or they don't do anything. Like, you know, we have this sort of experience at other festivals where it's marketed or or listed as queer, but it's like two best friends and nothing ever happens. And so, you know, it's also a question of where is that line? Is it is it like, I love Dry and I'm like, it doesn't bother me. It takes that long because it's whatever. I like Tom Tyker's films. But, but it is this audience expectation that, you know, why isn't it queer? and Why does it take so long to get queer? And it doesn't get queer enough. And then it's disappointed. Um, so maybe it's a little bit not about, I mean, it is about sex because that sort of validates the identity of, of us in, in the film, watching the film, being a part of the film. But in some ways, <clears throat> when it's not there, it's even bigger disappointing when you lead up to the fact that, oh, it's gonna, there's going to be gay sex in this film and then nothing happens. <laughs> um, I think is probably, we, we've all been there. So it's just, it's just a terrible moment about marketing queer film. I don't know. I feel like I'm being evasive and not answering your question, but I think it's just an interesting from us as professionals that there's also an expectation in our audience and recognize our own personal experience with the film and also going like, they're not going to like it because it's it's not queer enough. It's not gay enough. Maybe it's just like a cute boy that doesn't put out then. Um, Alex- <laughs> That's a different film. <laughs> Except it's a film. Alexa, oh, what, ask, what do you like? James, because I, I think you, you, you touch on something interesting there with the audience's expectation. What do you think of Pit Stop? Because that that's a film that I love, and they don't even meet like the last scene is the sex scene. Like it is, they're obviously like lonely, yearning, longing queer men, but like the the sex is like the very last scene is like two minutes long. It's like okay, bye. Or the inverse is um, Theo and Hugo, where the sex yes. is is in the first hour, half hour, and then you don't have anything else, right? And so. Um, I think, you know, Pits Up is probably a marker of a different kind, like of us entering a different phrase of queer film, where the expectations are, are different. Where, you know, we have, we can, you can see queer sex anywhere. That's what the internet is for. But having the story about longing and looking and finding and not finding, whatever, I think is, is maybe speaks more to the contemporary experience. Allegra, what are you looking for when you want to, when you're like, oh, I want there to be sex in this movie. Why? <laughs> <laughs> as a programmer <laughs> either one either one i mean james made it all about programming i i've been talking about falling in love and crushes and all that stuff for me i i'm like the romantic or something i don't know what it is i you can't you're yeah, you can't decide are you are you the pervert or the romantic well or i both. think they're the same or thing the i'm same. saying they're the same thing you're multi-cast I'm anti-intellectual though apparently Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think I like listening to this conversation and being here. I feel like there are very. I think there are a lot of differences uh, about, uh, um, uh, like lesbian representation versus 
uh, gay representation versus trans representation, uh, like obviously, but like listening to it and understanding my experience personally coming up, like I think I spent a lot of time looking at and lusting after things that weren't meant for me and like that kind of led to me be it's not that I'm it's not closeted but it's like it's like oh that's not really meant for me so it gave it this sort of it gave me this sort of like secretive kind of attitude about it uh but I think it also made me a better programmer because I am I can like I can I can see I can look and, and kind of discern what what other people might be thinking about it, it kind of gave me a, an ability to hopefully be a little bit more um, out uh, less myopic I guess uh, behind my own vision uh, so it, it really is different for for every kind of film that I am programming and like you know the gay male films have more sex in them full stop. Uh, and I think the expectation is that they will more so than any of the other of our of our of our alphabet uh, does. I mean, and then like the lesbian films will always have longing glances and like it, it, like like yearning from across a, a field uh, in, around the turn of the last century. You know, like so. I don't. I what am I? So what am I looking for as a programmer, and what makes it queer to me? It just it really depends on the the film and like I don't think sex is the end all and be all of it, but it is something that I do have to contend with. If if there's no sex, what makes it explicitly queer? How do we know? And I think that's been like the easy marker of oh, it's gay because they just they just did it, <laughs> so so we see it. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm always trying to look for a more legible queer sensibility that maybe isn't tied directly to to sex. Although it's good, I feel like I'm coming out a real prude. Like I've, I've I'm, I'm 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 clutching my pearls. Like you, you can learn from porn. I don't like I don't begrudge anybody learning <laughs> from from porn or having like crazy wild sex for two hours in the movie theater. Like okay, it's cool. Yeah, my biggest lesson here is I'm the perv, you're the prude. Okay. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Um, um, so Kathleen, what do you come to? What do you, you know, when 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 you want to see a love story, do you want there to be sex? Why? It's like all of a sudden I'm like, does anybody like sex in movies? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was trying to... Um... Okay, so like one of my favorite films, uh, lesbian films, is When Night is Falling, the Patricia Rosema film. I, it's like they meet in the circus, it's adventurous, like the, uh, it has Pascal Broussière, one of like my all-time biggest crushes in cinema. Um, and uh, it's just very, it's very sexy, it's romantic, it's it's all of those things. It's fun. It's it's yeah. And they then they run away. They run away together. You know, like <laughs> and so you know it has all the elements of a great lesbian romance, in my opinion. So um, that's one. And then of course I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I love the period piece, Longing Glances, and that one's also just builds up the tension, right? Like the tension of. And it's sexy. It's super sexy, right? They're all hot and flushed, and you know, like it's. it's if you haven't seen it, you got to run for it. But like, you got to run to it. Run to it. 
<laughs> you really have to run to it, run to everything about that movie. Anyway, so yeah, so, okay, so that's all personal, like my personal excitement in film. Um, but as a programmer, um, also there's another film I like, a, a gay film that is super romantic and sexy. I like the romantic and sexy, like yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey. <laughs> Um, I like the romantic sexy, the strong ones, and it's a Chilean film, and that's a really romantic, sexy film. Anyway, a gay film. Uh, yeah, so my point, but as a programmer, yeah, people complain if there's not, if it's not clear that the characters are queer. Like right. it's, if it's not, if something at some point doesn't happen, even a, a kiss, generally like people are okay. Okay, there's a kiss so that, you know, they know that they're queer, but something to say, or that maybe the character is queer, but the film isn't about them being queer. They're okay with that. And as a programmer, I'm always trying to think about like, oh, okay, does it have to be, it doesn't have to be a romance. And lots of people like, going to see films that are about just maybe the main character is queer, but it's not about like, you know, it's a thriller or whatever. Like I find audiences are willing to, to kind of take that in and accept that, but they do definitely want to know it's not enough for the filmmaker to be queer and make the, and show the, it's not enough because people are going in when they're going to a queer film festival, they want to see some element of themselves on screen. I, I really wonder about that. I'm, I don't mean to, to yeah, cut no, it off, no, but no. I really, like, are we unintentionally uh, cutting off, like, an evolution of queer cinema? Like, can, like, can queer people tell a story that's not overtly queer and still it the value of the queer lens can how do we how do we as programmers i guess it's up to us i suppose how do we highlight that or like somebody who is like um shaping film mm -hmm. but may not have direct queer characters all the time like how do we still support that career and how do we support that mm -hmm. vision and like i assume it's important i feel that it's important <laughs> Has anybody seen a film that won at Cannes this year that I just saw at the Tel Aviv Queer Fest this past weekend called Rodeo? It's uh, it's a... Okay, I'm going to do it justice in a second. I wasn't planning on it. But it is a French auteur piece made by a non-binary femme-presenting woman. But she uses she, her, but she feels non-binary. And the character is this tough, tough um, gender unspecified, but probably non-binary femme presenting in France. And she gets along, she's really, really tough with the boys and they, they're in a motorcycle environment. And then when she meets this woman at the end, uh, it's just clear that like, although she doesn't identify as any gender or sexuality, that this relationship she gets into is, this is more profound. This is where her heart and her sense of family becomes. And like, she, it's almost like she could handle all the boys, <laughs> but um, then all of a sudden this profound connection with 
the woman becomes like, oh, this is where my heart lives. This is where mm. I, in her case, it's destructive. She kind of like destroys her and it turns into a don't bury your gaze sort of situation. Um, but I thought it was very interesting because there's no explicit mentions of sexuality or even gender identity, but it is very clear that once that the relationships become more profound in who you are and who family is. Does that make sense, yeah. Allegra? I, <laughs> I want you to see that film because I think that is more like the future of queer film, right? Because I don't have to use words, but and the filmmaker is queer. The filmmaker has a girlfriend, you know, all that kind of stuff out, all that. Um, so I think it's entirely through the queer lens, but there is no sex or mention of it. I, um, I, go ahead. That totally is getting uh, like, so where does that live in our current um, sort of film festival realm? Like, yeah, I've, I've definitely played films that have gotten the, <laughs> the hate mail <laughs> and it's like, it hurts. Like, I don't think people realize it, but like, it, it really kind of, it, it hurts when, when that stuff comes in and you're like, and you, you really have no like, ability to speak back but I, I think uh that we would be doing ourselves a disservice like as queer cultural producers to not highlight this kind of work because I do think that's the way we're we're going that's the way the world is going to go like it, yeah. it is becoming less like people like my childhood experience of like none of this is for me but I will derive my pleasure where I can uh like that's not that's not the problem that folks are having now mm. and so i think that may be have been a issue that some queer festivals were solving for 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 a number of years and i think now that we're evolving music box is putting it out so i think everybody's going to be able to see it i i mean it's and i'm pretty sure she's going to become a hollywood action director it is french and it is tough and it is awesome um, i'm excited yeah it's great I'm going to say one other thing that I'm loving now, and then I think we should go around. Well, actually, there's no one more question. We're not even in an hour yet. And and Jared can always edit us. <laughs> um, <laughs> James, you wanted to say sex scenes that you, or movies about sex, that you think had great cultural importance. And you, so you, you wrote that as a note, and I was like, wait a minute, I have Straight people seen any queer scenes? <laughs> <laughs> it was like culturally important. It's not Brokeback Mountain, the fucking in the, <laughs> in, the in the tent. Do you mean that? Like, like lick, you know, spit in your mouth, fuck up the ass thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> what, now what I don't know you? where to go. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a sexy, um, a I, queer I, sexy okay, so... type. It probably comes down to, and this is something, you know, Sean, who runs the film festival, is is a huge fan of, of you know, archival pornography and stuff like that. And my, uh, what's the, um, the Buddy podcast, I should mention, too, that talks about the history of gay porn. Um, I'll, I'll look it up when, while someone else is talking. Um, but, you know, to go back to, like, Joe Gage films of the 1970s, you know, goes the the kansas city trucking company or something like i mean he shot on beautiful 16 like it is a straight up porn film but it it is kind of revolutionary because it when we think about and maybe this is building on allegra's point too is that 
sex had to be a part of queer film because you had zero representation. So, you know, the minute we hit, you know, the mid eighties, probably Desert Hearts isn't is sexy, but it's, it's not like graphically like, but by the time we hit the nineties where people are like, screw that, we're going to make our own fucking film and we're going to show sex because we've never seen it. And that is part of our life. And we're going to make this statement about it. Um, and then this sort of evolved and then they felt like we sort of came back, you know, with Travis Matthews films and Theo and Hugo where sex again makes this sort of a, a emergence as a, as a, a graphic and narrative element to sort of reaffirm queerness. And, and maybe to Allegra's point, are we hitting a stage? Clearly not, I think, with trans representation, but with maybe, maybe with gay men where we're like, all right, we don't need that kind of narrative anymore. I mean, it always sells tickets. I mean, what's the, what's the Australian film? That is like almost 90% sex. Lonesome? <laughs> Lonesome. Lonesome. Uh, but, so, but that, I mean, the film I think is much more complicated than it being about sex. I just sort of, yeah. it, but I think that's kind of what it's been derived to. It's the film that's just sex. Um, so I don't know. I feel like it comes in waves about, you know, sometimes culture needs it. You know, we're in a hugely conservative space in America at the moment where again, you know, our queer rights are being taken away. And I think we see sex again as a political statement. Right. And so, you know, we're not going to, we're not showing it sort of ties into our own invisibility. And, and I don't think people want that. And like, you know, we're not accepting of that anymore. Um, so it does, I think, sort of come and go in waves. Um, I don't know. I think that's sort of the interesting thing about it. All right. We need it. Okay. Now we don't. Well, <laughs> now we need it like, I know, <laughs> I know so many straight people who watched Call Me By Your Name just out of curiosity of like, what is this peach scene? Like, and I think that like that when you said like in, in your text, like what was like a culturally significant queer sex scene, like that immediately jumped to mind because that was like all over the internet for, for a month. Like that was like, like it broke out of the, the queer cinema bubble because it provoked in a way that we, we haven't been provoked in a while. Right, but the film was also criticized for holding back on the sex between the two men right yeah. so but i agree the, the peach scene came back when you said that i was like i don't know the peach scene <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah like, I'm really quick i don't have an answer for this so i'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pose it but like in order for it to be culturally significant does it have to break out of the queer bubble like no. yeah and so i don't but i don't i don't offhand oh we all shook my, our head we should verbalize say that some of us said no it does not so no. i forgot because uh, <laughs> like, when, I mean, when, when i when it, it can't be because it never has happened right so like oh i mean it broke broke back did break out yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and moonlight broke, moonlight, moonlight broke back yeah uh call me by your name like, all that, representations of sex in those were very unreal right like broke back that's not how it works i've tried so i wonder I, and i don't offhand have an answer because i i'm uh the resident prude uh <laughs> like i don't know which one has which sex scene has cultural significance inside our queer community or our queer bubble because like I just don't think the measure can be did straight people watch it because then it like mm. then it's like who cares? Oh, the straights 
<laughs> I but I also like let's let's not even like I think there's there's a false unity if you're like okay queer culture and straight culture like I would say 90% of my gay friends watch Marvel movies and that's it and when I tell them I really care about queer film I try to make queer films I try to watch queer films like all the gay movies I watch are so bad like yeah. I think even just breaking into the 90% of our community that's just completely suckling the corporate teat for entertainment like <laughs> is also like a moment of, of breakthrough. I'm just gonna say it though, they watch porn. So Yes. <laughs> yeah, porn and Marvel movies. And <laughs> how that's quality movies. entertainment. <laughs> I'm just gonna We're say something. I think maybe we maybe we go around and just say something you like right now, something you recommend. That's a good thing. It could be right now, something you think that we, you know, I'm just once again here in Israel, everybody I'm I'm in Tel Aviv. I don't know if I said that before. Everybody keeps saying to me, what's a good gay movie? <laughs> just like it's the constant thing. I went to a Vogue ball the other night. So I had to be, they were like, what's voguing? I was like, okay, well, there's Paris is burning. What's a good sexy gay? Sexy? I just want to say right now, because the other thing is that sex does sell. And if you look at like the, the Spanish blockbuster, queer ass craziness, uh, Elite. Has anybody watched Elite? That is selling queer sex unbelievably. I highly recommend turning on your Netflix and watching Elite. And it's five, it's going into six season six now. And it just gets getting sexier and sexier and sexier and sexier. And I love it. So I would recommend that. Anything you guys want to recommend? Yeah, I'll I'll throw one out there. So I think this movie kind of slid under the radar a bit. Did everyone see End of the Century? I think it came yeah. out 2017 yeah, or so. Yeah, we screened it. Great. I there's a scene in that movie that like becomes a sex scene but is so so well done and so sexy. And Kathleen, I think it comes back to what you're saying is like that tension, that spark. It's less about like do they take their clothes off as like you know, for those of us here who are filmmakers, like that's the hardest part is to like make that feel real. And you already know that these guys have a relationship and the, there's this scene that's a flashback and it kind of lands like right near the climax of the film where they're coming home from a bar and they're drunk and they put on some music and they're like dancing around the apartment and getting close to each other and then kind of laughing and backing off. And it is, that scene is so well done. And I, I really loved that movie. So end of the century. Uh, Sam, something you really like to recommend from sexy for sexy time. <laughs> I'm doing some research because I haven't found a trans film that's sexy and positive Ooh. for quite some time. Um, and I would love to be able to answer this question. So please come back to me. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a whole big wish list for the future. More sexy trans movies, please. <laughs> James, what about you? Oh, oh gosh, this one is kind of your fault, Jeffrey. Are you and Jared from when I was visiting in LA? Um, because I'd never watched Looking, and so I finally started watching that show. So I'm only still in season one because I haven't had a lot of time to watch it. But um, I was surprised and sort of how 
contemporary i guess it's sort of like i think in terms of its dialogue i mean yeah it's it's soap opera and so everything's exaggerated but there there was a sort of a realness in terms of their their attempts to create relationships in a very soap opera kind of way but you know i i was genuinely like kind of like this is this is speaking about something important um so i commend i thank you for for bugging me to watch that show Okay, so in a couple of weeks, our next topic is the importance of queer documentaries and telling our histories. I, I we need a better title than that, but um, I uh, I'll invite everybody back and for that for that episode. Anything anybody want to say and wrap up, or should we talk about? Oh yeah, Sam, what's that? <laughs> um, one thing I just didn't get a chance to say because I couldn't find the time to say it because when I was talking, I already talked a lot, like I'm doing right now, um, is in terms of television queer representation. I don't know if we even want to step into that, because that's a whole, I mean, I already talked about Shane, but like, that's a whole thing. And I remember when I saw the original Queers Folk, I was like, yes, this is great. I can't believe this is, I'm like allowed to watch this um super sexy and then I remember that the L word had a new release thing and I was like excited because nostalgia and excited because of some trans representation and some POC representation and other than that I don't remember how it was which didn't leave much of an impression um and then Queers Folk has the new Queers Folk of course and it's been they- canceled it was canceled. Yeah, it was canceled. Okay, well, they tried ago. really hard, and maybe they tried too hard, but they yeah. checked a lot of boxes, and it's, I really appreciated that. Um, and it had sexy stuff, if I remember correctly. I was oh, thinking about Pose, and Pose, like, I couldn't even, again, I'm not a reliable source, apparently, but I couldn't remember a lot of sex in that other than sex work um that I think is significant to mention trans women representation in sex work that's a thing that you see in films um but like Angel and Electra doing different people and Electra being like whips and chains and stuff but like I don't remember any like sexy sexy time between consent partners but that's probably just me not remembering um and then the last thing I was going to say is transparent complicated lots of things I only remember the straight sex in that show there was a lot of straight sex in that show um I hope there was some queer sex but I even remember and I therefore will stop talking because my memory's <laughs> not great Okay, so thanks everybody. Um, I'll be back. I'll be back in the states in two weeks, and we do this before Thanksgiving. Kathleen, you had something to complete? No, I was just gonna mention Ruth Caldelli's film, um, Colombian filmmaker, Colombian Spanish filmmaker. I really like uh, Petite Mal was super sexy, and I'd like mm. to recommend her films. She's kind of yeah. experimental, you know, like or whatever improvised filmmaking. I think her work is sort of like something to look out for. 
all these films that we're talking about, they're all here in Tel Aviv right now. So yeah. cheers to Yair for programming a good show, even if it's politically problematic here. <laughs> Alekra, do you have your hand up? I feel like you have your oh, hand no. up. <laughs> I, no, oh, did we get a sexy recommendation from Allegra? I just figured you you all assumed I didn't have one. <laughs> no, I know you have one. <laughs> um, I think the new since uh, Sam brought up so much TV, I think the new I think A League of Their Own is incredibly, uh, incredibly um, uh, sexy and and has all the things in it. Uh, and I. Uh, so also, because Sam brought it up, I would also throw out that I really thought Private Desert, which was the Brazilian mm. policeman, uh, and I don't want to give it away completely to those who might actually see it, but I thought that was incredibly, well, it was physically hot and sweaty, and I thought it was really, really sexy, and there was tension on a lot of levels, like, is this film going to be able to pull off what it's trying to do without being yeah. horribly offensive, and it just always toes this line of like eh, am I gonna do it and then it, it, it manages <laughs> to to do it at least in, in in my book I'd happily have a debate about it but I think that one's a really sexy one from the last year awesome well um, I'm glad we're ending on a positive note I was getting a little sad about sex there and, <laughs> and uh thank you all for joining us and um, we'll see you in a couple weeks thanks